Zelensky travels to Poland to meet with a staunch ally. Anushka Patel Matthew Pope Big David Pearson Farnes Fasahai Edward Wong Nick Cumming Bruce President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine is visiting Warsaw on Wednesday for talks with his Polish counterpart, Andrzej Duda, whose country has led one of NATO's staunchest campaigns to help Kyiv defend itself against Russia and, in the process, become an influential voice of the alliance's eastern flank. The two leaders have met several times, but Wednesday is Mr. Zelensky's first official visit to Poland since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, Mr. Duda's office said. Their talks are expected to cover issues of security and economic cooperation, including the transportation of Ukrainian grain through Poland, which, according to a report in The Guardian, has been a point of contention with Polish farmers who say that Ukrainian imports have flooded the Polish market and has caused grain prices to plunge. Mr. Zelensky is also scheduled to address the Polish people and the many Ukrainians living in Poland, speaking from the Royal Castle in Warsaw on Wednesday afternoon. Poland and Ukraine share a 330-mile border, and the country is hosting over 1.5 million Ukrainian refugees, the United Nations Refugee Agency reported last week, though that number is down from over 3.5 million in the first few months after the invasion. It was not known how long Mr. Zelensky would stay across the border. Days before the visit, Marcin Przydax, an aide to the Polish president, told the local radio station RMFFM that some of the MiG-29 warplanes it had promised to send Ukraine had been delivered. Poland, which shares borders with the Russian enclave of Kaliningrad and Belarus, a close Russian ally, was at the forefront of efforts to persuade Western allies to send Ukraine warplanes. It led an earlier, successful campaign to send advanced battle tanks, after warning for years of Russia's potential for aggression. Those initiatives have helped turn Poland into a critical ally for Ukraine and one of the most prominent members of NATO's eastern flank. It has hosted several world leaders recently, including Prince William of Britain in March and President Biden, for the second time, in February. KYIV, Ukraine, fierce battles are raging in the center of the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, a Ukrainian commander said on Wednesday as he vowed to defend the ruined city amid increasing signs that Russia is edging forward in its campaign for control of a place that has become the focal point of fighting on the war's eastern front. The commander of the Terra Aerial Reconnaissance Unit, Mykola Volokov, said that fighting was taking place near the city council building, where Russian forces said this week that they had raised a flag. Ukrainian officials denied that Russia controlled Bakhmut, but the flag indicated that Moscow's forces, who controlled a portion of the city east of the Bakhmutka River, were slowly advancing west of the river. We are holding on, and we will continue to defend Bakhmut, Mr. Volokov said on Ukrainian television. The fighting in and around Bakhmut, which has been raging since the summer, has been among the fiercest and most lethal of the war, with tens of thousands of killed and wounded, according to Western governments. Although the city's strategic significance is debatable, each side has justified its campaign by saying it is weakening the other's army with high casualties. In the latest indication of those losses, Ukraine's Special Operations Service said on Wednesday that snipers had killed 10 Russian soldiers in Bakhmut in the last few days. It posted grainy video on the Telegram social messaging app of the shootings, set against background music. It was not possible to independently verify the video or the report, although, snipers and drones have played a significant role in the battle. 
the commander of Ukraine's forces, General Valery Zelizny, said last month that the situation in Bakhmut could be stabilized, suggesting increasing confidence in Kyiv's ability to retain control. But the Wagner paramilitary group, which has spearheaded much of the fighting in Bakhmut and Russia's regular forces have both shifted their tactics, according to Michael Kaufman, the director of Russian studies at CNA, a research institute in Arlington, Virginia. Moscow has been steadily gaining territory in the north and east and south of the city, and they seem to have crossed the river itself, he said on the War on the Rocks podcast. Rather than trying to completely encircle Ukrainian troops, they have instead focused on pushing beyond Bakhmut to the northwest of the city, and they are also trying to push Ukraine out of the city. The State of the War Finland joins NATO The Nordic country officially became the military alliance's 31st member in what amounts to a strategic defeat for President Vladimir Putin of Russia. Killing of pro-war blogger Russian authorities detained a suspect in the bombing that killed a popular military blogger in St. Petersburg and blamed Ukraine and Russian opposition activists for the attack. Counteroffensive Challenges With powerful Western weapons and newly formed assault units, Ukraine is poised for a critical spring campaign. But overcoming casualties and keeping troops motivated will be stern tests. Arrest of American Reporter With the arrest of Evan Gershkovich, a Wall Street Journal correspondent, Putin signaled to the world that he was doubling down on Russia's isolation from the West. China's top leader, Xi Jinping, will be asked to apply more pressure on Russia to end its war in Ukraine when he meets with President Emmanuel Macron of France this week. The evidence suggests that he is likely to disappoint. Mr. Xi has shown little desire, or ability, to restrain President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia, whom he struck a no-limits partnership with more than a year ago in a strategic embrace aimed at realigning the world order away from the United States and Europe. Mr. Putin cast doubt on China's influence when he said last month that he would position tactical nuclear weapons in neighboring Belarus days after issuing a statement with Mr. Xi pledging not to deploy such weapons abroad. China has staked out a difficult position on Russia's war in Ukraine. Beijing has claimed neutrality, even suggesting that it could serve as a peace mediator while deepening relations with Moscow at every turn and throwing it an economic lifeline by increasing trade. A long-rumored call between Mr. Xi and President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine, which would have bolstered China's claim of neutrality, has yet to take place. A visit by Mr. Xi to Moscow last month, which officials billed as a peace mission, provided Mr. Putin greater legitimacy at home. Mr. Xi endorsed Mr. Putin's re-election as president and showed that the Kremlin was not completely isolated by having China in its corner. A joint statement issued after the meeting by the two leaders mentioned Ukraine only toward the end and offered no specifics about how to stop the fighting. The statement echoed a 12-point proposal for a peace settlement in Ukraine that China released in February that refrained from using the words war or invasion to describe Russia's military aggression and paid more attention to Beijing's objection to Western security alliances like NATO. The 12-point plan on Ukraine is a big smokescreen to deflect criticism against China for its pro-Russian neutrality, said Tivia Gehring, a researcher at the Guilford Glazer Center at the Institute for National Security Studies in Israel who has written extensively about Chinese foreign policy. 
Beijing's support for Moscow has undermined its bid to mend ties with Europe, a region it needs to help revive its economy. It also hopes to prevent European countries from aligning with the United States and its calls for more trade restrictions targeting China on security grounds. To that end, China's strategy has focused on exploiting splits within the European Union over ties to China and appealing to the region's desired independence from Washington, known as strategic autonomy. Beijing does want to foster Europe's strategic autonomy from the U.S., but it cannot deliver Russia, said Yun Sun, director of the China program at the Stimson Center, a Washington-based research institute. I suspect she will say things to pacify Macron, but nothing close to pressuring Russia to bring peace, she added. Some Chinese strategists have said not picking a side is the best strategy for China because it gives China the advantage. In this case, I don't think China in fact has the ability to fundamentally change Russia's position toward the war. Russia's presidency of the Security Council faced its first show of resistance on Tuesday as Britain, in a rare move, blocked a United Nations webcast of an informal council meeting this week on the forcible transfer of Ukrainian children to Russia. Britain's mission to the United Nations said it had blocked the webcast because Russia had scheduled its Commissioner for Children's Rights, Maria Lvova-Belova, to address the meeting. She and President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia are the subjects of arrest warrants issued by the International Criminal Court in The Hague last month, citing accusations of war crimes for the abduction and illegal deportation of Ukrainian children to Russia. She should not be afforded a UN platform to spread disinformation, said a statement from Britain's mission to the United Nations. If she wants to give an account of her actions, she can do so in The Hague. A note outlining the meeting that was circulated by Russia's mission states that its purpose is to dispel a deliberate distorted narrative by the Western news media and some countries about Russia's treatment of Ukrainian children. Russia rejects the accusations of coercion and abduction, saying that it evacuated the children for their safety and protection. In addition to Ms. Lvova-Belova, four other officials involved with the transfer of children are scheduled to brief the council. One is a Russian advisor on humanitarian affairs to Ms. Lvova-Belova's office, and three are local child protection officials from Donetsk, one of four Ukrainian regions that Russia illegally annexed last fall. U.S. and European diplomats had warned that Russia would use its platform as the rotating president of the Council this month to spread misinformation and that they would counter such attempts. Britain's action on Tuesday appeared to demonstrate their determination to follow through on that promise. Russia pledged to provide an alternative to the webcast, but how it would do so was unclear. Without that, the event will be limited to those physically in attendance, meaning accredited journalists and diplomats. It also means no video of the session will be saved in the United Nations archives. A Western diplomat with the Council who is not authorized to speak publicly about the matter said it appeared that Russia was being deliberately provocative in scheduling Ms. Lvova-Belova to speak, knowing that it could portray any backlash as censorship. Blocking a live webcast of an informal Council meeting is extremely rare. Last month, China blocked the UN webcast of an informal session on abuses in North Korea called by the United States, maintaining that the Council should not discuss human rights issues. It was the first time that any of the Council's members had objected to the webcast, which requires the permission of all 15.
Russia's deputy UN ambassador, Dmitry Polyansky, who tweeted that Russia would find another way to provide live coverage of the meeting, also said that Western officials were clearly afraid that many people will at last hear the truth on this topic. He then suggested that a tit-for-tat could follow. Russia will from now on block UN webcasts of all similar meetings citing UK censorship clause, Mr. Polyansky said in the tweet. Washington, a top State Department official has summoned the Russian ambassador in Washington to a meeting at the agency's headquarters to criticize Russia's detention of a Wall Street Journal reporter, according to a State Department official. Victoria Noland, the third-ranking official at the department, spoke with Anatoly Antonov, the Russian ambassador, last Thursday, the same day that the reporter, Evan Gershkovich, appeared in a court in Moscow, where he was formally arrested on charges of espionage. The Russian authorities had detained Mr. Gershkovich, 31, earlier that day in Ekaterinburg, where he had been on a reporting trip. On Monday, Mr. Gershkovich's defense lawyers appealed his arrest, Russian state news agencies reported. Over the weekend, Secretary of State Antony J. Blinken spoke with Sergei V. Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, to demand the immediate release of Mr. Gershkovich, State Department officials said. CNN first reported on Tuesday the prior summons of the Russian ambassador. On Tuesday, the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, called the charges against Mr. Gershkovich ridiculous. Speaking at a news briefing, she said, Evan is not a spy, Evan has never been a spy, Evan has never worked for the U.S. government, and he is an independent journalist employed by The Wall Street Journal. Emma Tucker, the editor-in-chief of The Wall Street Journal, said on the CBS News show, Face the Nation. On Sunday that she hoped the State Department would move swiftly to formally announce that Mr. Gershkovich had been wrongfully detained. That is a legal designation by the agency that often results in greater latitude of action by the U.S. government to try to get the detainee liberated. The State Department has applied that label to Paul Whelan, a former U.S. Marine imprisoned in Russia on an espionage conviction. It did the same with Brittany Griner, an American basketball star who was detained by Russia on drug charges days before President Vladimir V. Putin ordered a full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Russia released Ms. Griner in December after the United States agreed to free Viktor Bout, a convicted Russian arms dealer. In a statement on Monday, Alexei Melnikov, the secretary of Moscow's Public Oversight Commission, a group of civil society members who monitor human rights in pretrial detention centers, said that he had visited Mr. Gershkovich at Lefertovo Prison in Moscow, where he is being detained. The prison was used by the KGB as a place to keep Soviet dissidents. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, it has been used by the agency's successor to isolate opponents of the Kremlin. Mr. Melnikov said that Mr. Gershkovich had appeared cheerful and made jokes. And he was reading Life and Fate, a book by Vasily Grossman written in 1959 and set in Stalinist Russia during World War II. Geneva, the United Nations' top human rights body on Tuesday picked a veteran rights activist to investigate alleged human rights abuses in Russia, the first time it has appointed an expert monitor to investigate and report on a permanent member of the Security Council, one that now holds that body's presidency. The Human Rights Council in Geneva named Mariana Katsarova, a Bulgarian rights advocate, a special rapporteur on human rights in Russia. 
The move came days after Russia began a month-long stint leading the Security Council, a position that rotates alphabetically among its 15 members. The Rights Council also voted decisively to prolong a commission looking into war crimes and other abuses in Ukraine. The commission said last month that the systematic bombardment of Ukrainian civilians and torture of prisoners might rank as crimes against humanity, a category even more serious than war crimes. Those findings came almost on the same day that the International Criminal Court accused the Russian president, Vladimir V. Putin, and one of this top officials of war crimes and issued warrants for their arrest, citing the abduction and deportation of Ukrainian children to Russia. The Human Rights Council's 47 members decided on Tuesday by 28 votes to 2, with 17 abstentions, to keep the three-person commission and its team of researchers working for another year. The resolution's opponents were China and Eritrea. Russia was suspended from the Council last year after its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The Council's members called on Russia to halt the deportations of Ukrainian children, including unaccompanied minors and children in institutional care, and demanded that the Kremlin allow international rights and humanitarian agencies immediate access to the children. The appointment of Ms. Katsarova follows a council decision to monitor the growing repression in Russia under a resolution adopted in October pointing to the clear connection between domestic repression and war abroad. Russia's ambassador to the United Nations in Geneva, Gennady Gadilov, condemned the council's October decision at the time as despicable and an effort to turn the United Nations into a tool of the West. Ms. Katsarova, a former journalist who reported on Russia's wars in Chechnya in the 1990s, worked for a decade at Amnesty International Research and Human Rights in Russia and has led United Nations investigators monitoring developments in Belarus and Ukraine. She founded the Britain-based organization, Reach All Women in War, which promotes women working in war zones as human rights defenders and distributes an annual award named for Anna Politkovskaya, the Russian journalist and frequent Kremlin critic who was murdered in Moscow in 2006. Ms. Katsarova is strong, a long-time observer of human rights trends in the region, said Dave Elsrode, the head of advocacy for Human Rights House Foundation, an Oslo-based organization working with groups in 13 countries. The foundation said on Twitter that her appointment was an important first step to addressing the human rights crisis in Russia and urged states to provide support that would add weight to her investigations.